0: The truth is, if you make an outline, no matter what level you're working at, what you write will be better in the long run.
1: Hello, and welcome to the Arts of Language podcast with Andrew Poudois, founder of the Institute for Excellence in Writing, or as many like to say, IEW. My name is Jilly Walker and I'm honored to serve Andrew and IEW as the Director of Marketing. Our goal here is to equip teachers and teaching parents with methods and materials which will aid them in training their students to become confident and competent communicators and thinkers. Hi everyone, as you may have heard, this week we're switching it up a bit and are playing for you the audio portion of one of our IEW webinars. Today's episode is part two of that webinar, so if it sounds a bit like you're jumping into the middle of a conversation, well, it's because you are. And like we do for each podcast recording, we'll post any links or websites mentioned at IEW.com slash podcast. Enjoy! Now.
0: If you would like to, right on the spot, if you're at a time and place with the technology and can download this set of mini books on kangaroo rats, you can click that live link and go ahead and do that. If not, I'm gonna put them on the screen so you won't miss anything. But we're going to find our mini book sources and then choose or identify the topics that are available in each source. Now some topics are kind of predictable. If you're dealing with people, sometimes the predictable topics are things like childhood and education, major accomplishments, later life, death, you know, these are things that may be fairly common to people. Animals are even more predictable. States, uh, countries and states are perhaps the most. I mean, every state has very predictable topics. So if you want to start this out and do a state, well, you know, it's excellent because you've got history, agriculture, industry, attractions, economics, politics. These are pretty much very predictable topics. With animals, you've got things like habitat, behavior, species, social groups, domestication, anatomy, things that are predictable and so that's why if when you're starting out here if you go with states countries and animals it's kind of phase one I think you'll find that a little bit easier than something more challenging like people or events or current issues or literature and when we get to unit eight I think one of the best things we share with you all in unit eight is that idea of the development of the essayist through a topical progression. So the idea of working with something simple first, especially if you have younger children, and then you create the keyword outlines, and then you, as I said, and as you know, fuse those outlines together into the fused outline from which you write the paragraph, adding the stylistic techniques as needed. And, of course, We put that word clincher there to remind each of us to help the students follow the topic clincher rule. So here we see kangaroo rats and we've got these mini books reproduced here. One of the first things you want to do with any reference whether it's mini books or encyclopedia article or a library book or a website is you want to identify possible topics. Uh, What are the divisions? Here you have a big subject of kangaroo rats. What are the divisions? So if we look at this first book, it's A310. And so it's a third category of animals, book 10. And it starts out here with the first paragraph. Kangaroo rats are furry rodents who live in the desert. They have long hind legs and short forelegs. They hop blah blah blah. So reading the first sentence, or maybe the first two, you should be able to get a sense of what this paragraph is about. And so this one, we would probably determine is about the kangaroo rat's body. So I'm writing on a piece of paper here, and I would put A3-10 at the top, and below that, I would start listing the possible topics. The first one here would be body. Now these mini books are a little deceptive because you're looking at page one on the right under the title and then kind of page four (laughs) on the left side. So I'm just going to flip forward and now we see page two, shiny black eyes, kangaroo rats are adorable. That's the end of the mini chapter, if you will, on their body. Okay, so then the next paragraph, the desert is the kangaroo rat's habitat. They live in the dry regions, blah, blah, blah. You can even skip then over to the last sentence, the, this unfriendly habitat is perfect for them. So you get a good sense that this little paragraph here, this mini chapter is about habitat. And one of the things that is very handy about the mini books themselves is that we have specifically written them to follow the topic clincher rule. This makes it easy for the students to identify the topics of each section, and it's a model for how you would follow the topic clincher rule. So they're very handy in teaching both of those things. Here we see kangaroo rats can live without drinking water. They're also able to get water. Okay, so you're thinking, ah, that one must be about water. So I'm putting in my list here, in the column under A310, the word water, seeing that that third paragraph is about water. Then we move down to the next section. Two to three litters are born to each kangaroo rat female every year. Holy smoke takes only 30 days for them to be born. Each litter can have up to seven pups. That really does give a mathematical intensity to the whole statement, multiply like rats. And so this I guess you would call reproduction or pups or young or something like that. And then we will go back to the previous where we see uh, page four of the mini-book. These mini-books are designed to be folded in half, so they actually work like a mini-book, only on the PowerPoint here on the uh, screen. We're having to pretend that we're going back and forth between a, a flat page. Here we have kangaroo rats are not social at all. They keep to themselves and protect their burrows. So this probably would be about their social, you know, or lack of social, elements, which I find interesting because my very first pet in life as a child was a kangaroo rat named Alice. I had a kangaroo rat before I had a chameleon or a dog, and so kangaroo rats are very close to my heart, and mine was quite friendly with me, but of course maybe that's just because there was no mate or no young to deal with. So now we go to the second book in the series. This is labeled Pint-sized Hoarders, or, for the sake of ease, A3-11. So the third in the A set and book 11. And so here we will do the same thing and look at the topics. The first topic here, if I move the little... Green arrow. Kangaroo rat is a funny little animal. It hops around like a tiny kangaroo, uses its short front legs. That sounds like what they do, their behavior, their activity. So let's call it behavior since that's a nice broad category and put that as the first word in the second column on our sheet and so we know now we have information about behavior. We look at the second paragraph. The kangaroo rat is small and cute. It's only 12 inches long, including tail. Tail has a puff of fur, blah, blah, blah. We should be able to identify there pretty quickly that this is about its body, body characteristics. We go over to the next page in the mini book and it says there are 22 species of kangaroo. Well, That's fascinating and it tells a little bit about the species. The, uh, some live in California, the giant kangaroo, ords kangaroo, so this would be again about species. So in the column now we have behavior, body, species. We go to the next mini chapter, section, paragraph, whatever you want to call it. Kangaroo rats live in colonies, but they do not work together. They do not even pay attention to each other. And that sounds like their antisocial behavior. So we'll put social or lack thereof in the fourth place. And then we go back to the bottom of the right hand of this slide. For years, the kangaroo rats were no prob. Turn the page backwards. Problem to man. Recently, more people have moved into the habitat. The kangaroos become a pest. And so, I don't know, how would we, we could label this pest. We could also note that it's a little bit about their habitat. Uh, They eat the grass seed uh, that bothers the farmers who irrigate the crops and steal seeds. Okay, so we can put that as habitat, I think. So our second column, behavior, body, species, social habitat. Okay, we go to the third book now. This would be A3-12, and it's entitled Cheeks for Storage. And so we start looking then again for topics, hopefully overlapping topics. Kangaroo rats are neither kangaroos nor rats. They resemble mice, but they are not. They have a family that includes only kangaroos and pocket mice. There are 22 species within family. Okay, now we start to see, aha, this is more information about their species. So we'll go ahead and label that in A3-12 column on the top, Species. Turn the page and we go to baby kangaroos. Our, uh, rats are called pups. They are ugly and helpless when they are born. They have no fur or teeth. Oh my gosh, cannot see or hear. Maybe that's why they are having to get so much help from their mothers, I don't know if they have. I don't think they're marsupials, so they don't live in their mother's belly you know, pouch like kangaroos do. But they are helpless. Okay, so let's call that one pups or babies. We move on to the third topic. Humans do not often see kangaroos. They live in sparsely populated areas. They're active only at night. Daytime is extremely hot. This sounds either habitat or behavior. I mean, you could make an argument for either one. You might read on a little. To avoid being eaten, they hop around only at night. They hide from danger. Probably we would call this behavior, I would think. That connects with a topic we already have, and that's always good to do. And then we have body. Kangaroos, great jumpers, large hind feet, jump to nine feet, hairy on top. And that, of course, sounds like they're body characteristics. So we would call that that. And then we get to the last paragraph and it says they spend their nighttime gathering food. They put it in pouches in their cheeks. Okay, that's interesting. We turn to the last page on the previous slide. They are carry their food, stuff cheeks, deliver food. This seems to be about food. So we can put food there. So we have now made a chart with three columns, and hopefully we have five topics because the mini books are engineered here, not to replace the library, but to be organized so that you can teach this process in a clear way, even to a group of children, and it's very obvious. So my paper looks like this. I hope yours looks somewhat similar, where you have listed the topics in each paragraph for each of the three books. Then what you can do and what you want to do with your students, of course, is take a look at how the topics overlap. So body is probably the one with the three topics available. That's got the most information. Habitat, the first and second book, Water is kind of orphaned unless you would connect it with food, which certainly could be done. Water and food as a topic. Reproduction kind of connects with pups. Social or antisocial behavior. And then behavior could be its own topic. So it's kind of an overlap, but you could do it that way. Species connects up. And so now you see that there's two or three sources for each of those available topics. So this kind of chart, whether you're doing it with mini books or whether you're doing something more extensively with other resources, is very helpful for students to be able to see, aha, there's information here and here and here about this one topic. And then you choose that topic and create the fused outline and then go for the next topic if you need to. I'm just going to jump ahead and show you then how this would work. Here's again the model and how we would go through and choose from the first book, which was Kangaroo Rats. Okay. We're going with the body. So here you see I've taken five facts from that first source text, long hair, short front, tough tail balance, brown, white belly, ears, no fur on the ears, black eyes. Okay. Good. Next source text. We get up to their body, 12 inches including the tail, longer brown head, brown eyes, plump belly. Only four facts available there. Kangaroo's body, they can jump nine feet and one jump. That's incredible. Hairy feet, sole, sand, hind, bipedal kangaroo. So a lot of rich detail on the facts there. And then what we do is we put those into a fused outline. And part of the process here is to help to organize the facts into some type of logical sequence, some kind of order that would make sense. Sometimes that's easier than others. I wouldn't worry too much about that part of the process in terms of trying to help get kids do it perfectly. They'll actually learn by doing again and again rather than by being lectured, you know, you should think more carefully or whatever. You've probably noticed that about children. But here we see the fused outline and we could easily talk through that outline which is a part of all of our units in the syllabus is talk through the outline first and then it makes more sense and then when you go to write it out you're one step ahead uh, where you would have been if you didn't talk it through a couple things you can teach documentation starting in unit 6 you can wait till unit 8 you can also wait till next year depending on how old what level your kids are at. One of the things I think happens about documentation, we tend to dump this on kids all at once. I mean, one day you're a happy-go-lucky, carefree, seventh grade student who can write reports and life is good, and then the next day go, wham! MLA format, everything, all at once. Learn this or die, you know, falls on your head. And so I think one of the problems is that this documentation thing seems to come on very suddenly. So what our approach would be is to introduce one concept, do that, add to it another idea, do that, add to that another idea, practice those until it's easy, very much along the lines of the stylistic techniques, add to that another idea so that it, it's not too much to once can't see the forest for the trees at the trees for the forest. So here's a reviewing from the TDO, and this is all in our teaching writing instruction style notebook so you don't have to worry about remembering this or copying it down. Step one would be just make a bibliography. What are the books you looked at? That's all you need to do. Just list the books you looked at and you can choose MLA or a Turabian Chicago format if you want. It doesn't really matter. Step two would be to teach the students how to do an integrated quotation. As Joe Blow said in his book, We Love Kangaroo Rats, comma, quote, kangaroo rats are the most interesting animals on Earth, period, end quote. So it's an integrated quotation. You don't worry about a footnote. All the information is there and that would be fine. The next step might be a longer quotation. The difference between integrated and inset is that an integrated quotation would be three lines or less. Three lines or fewer in terms of its length. An inset quotation would generally be four lines or more. And the difference, you can study this, and we have samples in the TWSS, so I don't need to rehash it all here for everybody. But the, the main difference there is that the integrated uses quotation marks. The inset quotation uses a colon and then it's inset so that it's obviously a quote. Some format styles have you double space your paper but single space the inset quotation. That's another uh, style guideline to determine. The next step would be to teach paraphrase. So as Joe Blow explains in his book, we love kangaroo rats, they are the most friendly animals which humans will ever see or whatever. And so you're not quoting Joe Blow but you're paraphrasing and you teach how to do that. And in that case, that's really the point where you would need some type of footnote or endnote so that the end of the paraphrase would be clear and the source of the information would be clear. So that would be kind of step four. And then the next step would be to kind of get into the full out footnotes or endnotes, or if you're using MLA format, it would be inline citations and those would have to then connect with the works cited list at the end. So, kangaroo rats are the most friendly creatures on Earth, parentheses, blow, comma, 17, and parentheses, period. And then the works cited would have blow, comma, Joe, kangaroo rats are our friends, period, random house publishers, whatever so that the reader would then know, okay, Blow 17 is from that book, Joe Blow, We Love Kangaroo Rats. And this is where you get into the constantly changing guidelines of the Modern Language Association, which in order to be modern, it would have to be constantly changing and the details thereof. But I I don't think you wanna force this on students too too legalistically or too soon, because the truth is this, Half the students that you're teaching, by the time they get to college and have to do this seriously, things will have changed. So rather than say, this is the way to do it, I would simply say, follow these guidelines slavishly, realizing that they may change at mo- any moment. And of course, there's different ways to cite books and periodicals and websites and books with two authors and, oh, the list goes on and on. One good source I might mention for you if you're wrestling with with upper high school students is the Purdue OWL, O-W-L, Online Writing Lab. It's a great source of currently updated guidelines for MLA, APA, Chicago, Turabian, and they can easily access the citation requirements there. And then, of course, if you're working at that level, the mybib.com or i think easybib.com it's wonderful because you can just type in you can just type in the ISBN number of the book and it will format the thing according to whatever guidelines you are forced to follow at that point so you just type in the ISBN MLA and kaboom it pops up the way it's supposed to theoretically Okay, I guess we should pause. We're getting close to the end. I do see one question here. I'll take a pause and answer. Jenny has asked this kind of detailed and very happy question. If you have this question, you're a very happy mom. It says, I gave my ninth grader source text about Beowulf commentary, analysis, etc., and he used that for his research. He's very excited about it and is eager to add an intro and a conclusion and some transitions between paragraphs. Is there a reason why I should hold him back from that at this point if I haven't taught him those skills yet? Or should I tell him to wait until we get to Unit 7 and 8 before adding those elements to make a complete essay? Well, Jenny, I think that the crowd here tonight would probably answer the question for you, which is, oh, I wish I had a ninth grader who was excited about writing an analytical paper on Beowulf. The other kind of, I think, Obvious answer is don't hold a student back. If they're excited about doing something, go for it. There's no reason that you can't jump right over to the Unit 8 model and show him the five, six, seven, however, I mean, paragraph essay you want. Talk about you know what makes a good conclusion, what makes a good introduction. We're going to be going over that in a couple months here in the webinar, but by no means would I hold back, especially a high school student who, from the sound of what you have written, is very possibly going to be able to, in a year or two, certainly by the age of 15 or 16, enroll in a community college English and or literature and or composition class. And I tell you, the odds are he will write circles around his peers. Blow his professors out of the water. They're going to be saying, How did you learn to do this? Showing the paper to everyone in the class, saying, This is the way to do a great paper here, everybody,
1: you know, do this.
0: Or he's going to say, You couldn't have possibly done this, you must have stole it from somewhere. In which case, you know, you'll come to his defense. So I would definitely, Jenny, go ahead and look at college prep work for him with the thought of beginning college level class work either, like I said, at a local community college or online class in the very near future. I have any number of homeschool 15-year-old kids who can walk into a junior college and and literally write circles around the 18 and 19-year-old students who may or may not have graduated from high school and are attempting to continue their education, possibly even into a state state or private university and have the same result. So the fact that you've been teaching so well, that he is so excited about, you know, finishing this Beowulf paper in the, in the best and proper form is a tremendous blessing. So I'm happy to see you smiling about that, but it is it is a case. Just very briefly, let's mention a few options that you have in terms of sources. We have our writing source pack that is included with the premium subscription and there's the live link, IEW.com slash WSP dash E. And by the way, websites are not case, so you can type in upper or lower case, we just put them that way so it looks a little easier to see. But you can get some source text there with the mini books. We have theme based writing lessons, ancient history, medieval history, US history, Narnia based lessons, rocket based lessons, all things fun and fascinating, fable myths and fairy tales, classical rhetoric, Bible, so many options there for the theme-based lessons. And those all have unit six assignments laid out. So if you're having any difficulty moving forward with the syllabus, you're certainly welcome to look at those. If you are teaching in a classroom, We have the classroom supplements available for you and these are are well laid out, complete lesson plans that should help you move forward through the units. In terms of the stylistic techniques, I say this month after month, so you may be exhausted and tired and bored of me saying it, but let's see how many people can answer the question. Techniques, new stylistic techniques should be dripped into the sequence of the structural models as they become, what would you say, easy, Carol, easy, Cynthia, Karen, EZ, yes. That is the truth. They should be dripped in as they are easy. Thank you so much, you folks who are webinar junkies, you know the fact. And what does easy mean? Easy, in my case, means without much help and they can do it without much help and it doesn't sound too goofy most of the time. And so this little chart shows that your stylistic techniques are not locked according to the unit they are simply dripped in according to the easy plus 1 idea. So you know if you're using a book of lesson plans for math whether it's a history based or any other theme-based or classroom supplements, or you know, even if you've designed your own assignments from the units, you want to remember that the stylistic techniques are not locked to the units in any way. They're very flexible and you want to drip them to the assignments as they become easy. And so you know, here's an example of maybe going a little faster, older, and of course you can have an example of going even slower like that, which we don't have, but it could be. All right. I think we've beat that dead horse as much as we can. I do want to remind y'all before we finish up here about our Magnum Opus magazine. Your students can submit, uh, uh, homeschool students uh, only right now, submit articles to the Magnum Opus, but you of course can subscribe to it. It's free. We have every other month an e-issue and once a year a paper issue that we will mail to you. And so if you want to see samples of Unit 6 writing, this would be, of course, devoid of the whole source text outlines, fused outline thing, but the finished product. That also in the magnum opus. And other ways we can help you our podcasts, which are really a lot of fun. Uh, Julie and I record one or two a week, and covering everything from just basics to motivation to music to Ask Andrew Anything questions, and so we're really enjoying those. We've got our blogs, we've got our forum, where you can ask questions, you can answer questions if you are an expert, which many of you are, the e-newsletter and the Magnum Opus Magazine. Debbie's asking, where can we get the slides chart from this webinar? You'll receive a link to the recording of the webinar, which will be exactly what you see tonight. And you can get that on your screen and look at it, copy it over, print it out, do whatever you want with that, and we'll get that. And Marie, you're mentioning that you like the idea of easy, that the student can write plus one, exactly. Yes, I'm so happy you understand that well. So you've got it, anne Go out and continue to teach and teach others to teach and send people to our resources so that we can help you as much as we're able. So that then is the end of our webinar tonight. Thank you so much for joining us. It looks like either the questions were answered or they were not asked. But if you do have any question, you're always welcome in addition to the resources you see on the screen, to email us at info at IEW.com. And if our customer service folks aren't able to answer your technical and challenging question, they will be very happy to send it on to one of our certified, qualified, advanced instructor people that are always available for questions. So I bless you all. Thank you for joining us tonight. I commend you in your work of teaching. Do not grow weary of doing good, especially in the Dog Days month of February. It just seems like it's about mid-February. Everyone thinks, oh, if the school year were just over, (laughs) and yet there's months to go. So keep on keeping on, and let us at IEW do whatever we can to help you, because it is our great joy and pleasure. Teachers, tutors, homeschooling parents out there, God bless you.